Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 466th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, going to have a great podcast for all you guys today. Going to have Ben Moraz on the show. He is the great nephew of the great Don Shula, one of the greatest football coaches to ever grace the gridiron. We have a fantastic conversation. We talk about coaching, uh, just his experiences, his family experiences. He's also a Dolphins fan, right? Surprise, surprise. So we get into all that, and I really enjoyed having Ben on the podcast. It was absolutely uh, an amazing experience to get him on. Also, want to say this shout out to everybody who's tuning in via uh, WJCU, the John Carroll radio station, 6 a.m. in the morning as well. Now, before we get to the conversation with Ben, though, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically for you Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane and also subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. Also, I'm debuting a top 40 quarterback rankings. I'm at quarterback 26. Just got done with two attack below and Mitch Trubisky today as we go on the road all the way to who's my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, top five, and who is the best quarterback in the NFL per my evaluation. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, let's say that happens by an off chance. Just don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. Mama Lane always taught me this. She said, Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next to the break, we're going to have Ben on the show. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Ben with us. So, Dolphins. Just explain how your Dolphins fandom started, because it's really interesting. Yeah, um, I am a lifelong Dolphins fan. My house, um, we, my family's lived in three different houses, and all of them are Miami Dolphins gift shops. And um, the reason for that is my grandmother, my dad's mom, so my grandma Mirage, is Don Shula's younger sister. He, she is one of the triplets that Don raised every single day after school. And um, the triplets were the, the first team that Coach Shula coached. So uh, raising my grandma and her two, um, her two twins, or I guess the other two twins. And um, so we are Shula's. 
feel like our family. What was your like favorite moment growing up? Like just around all this? Like, cause you're from a football family. Is Don Shula the best coach ever? Yeah. Not even close? Yeah. Any, anything I can say to convince you otherwise? Anything that would have to happen in the football world to convince you otherwise? What would somebody have to do? is fair uh high standards to get up to so that means you know when you if you've ever finally said in your lifetime you know that a guy did a really good job somebody had to do a really good job So the Dolphins right now, where do you stand with Tua?
Um, it's all that's been great. You know, I got as we, I, we, we, you know, you and I in this podcast have talked. There are 22 variables in the football field, and there's five that protect you, and then there's four or three that catch the football. Um, I think you know Miami's had a, a young, inexperienced line. They've been kind of playing offensive line of uh, uh, roulette there, and they won games. And you know they've won games, you know, with defense, and they've won games with uh, run. You know, they have had a great running game. They, they just signed the kid from. Um, the Chiefs of the 49ers, Edmonds, Cardinals, maybe. Cardinals. Edmonds, the running back. Yeah. And um, I like to. I, I think I, I think there needs to be progression. I think there's a lot of people who want to look at Tua and say, we pass on Herbert, what the hell. I don't think that's really fair to Tua. You know what I mean? I think, well, well I, I, I like what we have to Tua. I just, you know, we've won games to Tua. He may not be the reason we're winning games, but we're winning games. He's not turning the ball over, which is huge. We're... Where do you think Tua stands right now, kind of in the hierarchy of the NFL? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't put him anywhere near the guys we've been talking about, obviously. And um, because I, I think that's okay. Cause I, 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 I think that, you know, Flores and the now McDaniel, they haven't asked him to do that. And um, I don't know. I, I definitely think he's – I think he's a bright spot. I, I think he's a guy who is – who can progress and who does want to be good. I, I don't know in terms of a number, though. That's a good question. Definitely. I mean, definitely, the, obviously, the bottom half. Of the, you know, there are so many guys who are just, you know, incredible. But I, I, I do put him in a little bit of a lower spot, but I, and I, I don't think that's a knockout of who is. I think it's how good the other guys are. I like Tua. How big of an impact do you think Tyree Kill and Waddle are going to make for Tua this year? A big one. I... I thought that last year, Waddle, I mean, Waddle caught 109 balls and missed a game. And um, Tua missed four games. You know what I mean? So I think there's a lot that uh, Waddle can do. I think Waddle is awesome playing kind of, you know, he, he's, he kind of plays a lot like Cup. He's able to move inside, he's able to move outside. He's able to play that slide, control the middle of the field. He's not afraid to get hit in the middle of the field. Uh, I like Ty- Tyreek. I'm not sure how that's going to go with Tua. Um off the field, you know, we're not really going to go into that. You know, he's had his issues that, you know, as any fan, you don't love to see. Um, you know, it, you know, it makes you think. But I don't know. He, you know, he's a big vertical guy. We haven't seen. I don't know if we haven't seen it because you know he struggled with it, or they haven't asked him to do it. They haven't asked him to open up the field a lot. You know, and throw like that. And they gave up a lot for him. So I assume that they they believe he can do it. And I think that you know a guy like. Um, like Tyreek will open seams up for Jalen because you know as we saw in Kansas City he's a tough guy to defend so I think there's a lot that can really go on there I'm just not sure because we haven't really seen Tua in an air raid crazy downfield offense what do you think Mike McDaniels is going to bring to this Dolphins offense uh I think he's going to bring um I'm expecting to see the run game pick up I you know we picked you know, everybody knows the Shanahan run game and the, the RPO offense that they like to do. And I'll, uh, you know, I, I believe the run game is going to be drastically improved this year. I think that Chase Edmonds is a start. I think that trade or that signing Terrell was it Terrell Austin from the Saints? Um, the, not Austin, Terrell Armstrong. Excuse me, Terrell Armstrong, the tackle from the Saints. Um, I think that a very a very creative run game that's going to help. That's really going to help too. And as we know, too, can move these and So I, I think the run game is going to be very good. How good do you think the Dolphins can be this year as a team? Ten wins, playoffs? Um, I would say yes, but the schedule's tough. And I don't 
like the way the schedule plays for them because um, what what stinks is that they play in September. They host New England and Buffalo. They got to go down there in December. Last year it was the opposite. They got those teams to come down to Miami in the heat in January and December. Now we have to go play in the snow. So I so not only is the schedule tough, I don't love the way it opens up as well, or the way it, the schedule plays. I'd rather see New England go to Miami in December than Miami go to the snow in December. So I'm not sure. But I think Miami should win 10 games. I, I do. The schedule's tough. Brutal. But I do think Miami should win 10 games. Do you think Brian Flores was unfairly fired? I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Um, un- unfairly, I don't. I definitely don't think he deserved to be fired. I, I truly don't. Um, again, as we said earlier on this podcast, the guy who was 19 games in two seasons is doing something right, right? Yeah, it's hard to do. Um, so I, I don't think he deserved to be fired. I think that, you know, he took over in a, in a sense that, uh, this team, you know, the team was, was a disaster. They were in the was it was that year sucks for Burrow. Was, was that those sweeps? You know, the year that they were looking for a quarterback, and they were zero and eight. And, you know, his first year they were bad, and uh, now you know we've known that they, he was supposedly offered just money to lose games. So um, unfairly, I don't know, but I definitely do not think he deserved to lose his job. And I can honestly, as a Dolphins fan, I was devastated when he got fired. I thought he was building a good thing. As somebody who grew up around coaches, what do you think of the concept, the thought, the idea of a coach being asked to lose games on purpose? Um, I don't love it, especially my Dolphins. I don't love it. I don't like it. Uh, I think it, I, I think it, it, the trust that um, is in the dynamic, I, I just think is, is interesting when you're wanting to incentivize that. And I, I get the reason I, I do, you know, the quarterback, the, you know, the suck for luck is what, you know, made that famous that, that year. And um, I don't know. I just think you know. And, you know, I, I think it's unfair to the fans. I think the fans, um, you know, put a lot of time into cheering for their team and a lot of their resources, and you know, traveling to games and spending money to go to games and buy gear. I think it's unfair to the fans. I think it's unfair to kids. I, I think it's unfair. To, I, you know, I like it. I, I get it. You know, it's the sense of you know you want to get put yourself in a position to draft that Joe Burrow, but I don't know. It's like what Kobe said. I can't not play today. How do you know somebody is not seeing me for the first time? I completely agree with that. So, as a Dolphins fan in the AFC East, there's the Patriots, Jets, Bills. Who do you hate the most out of all those teams? Like, what's the order of hate? Um, well, me right now is the Patriots. As uh, we live with the fear of Coach Belichick coming up on our uncle's record. But my, my aunt, uh, Sharon, his daughter, made a good point. It's time for us to appreciate how the Hallis family felt when, when our dad was coming up on his record. So I always cheer against New England in, in that sense. But I, I am humble about the record and knowing how much you know it means. Uh, he hated the Jets. We as a family hate the Jets. He, uh, we lost to the Jets in Super Bowl three in the greatest upset when Joe Namath uh, guaranteed the game. And... Um, and we lost a uh, couple playoff games to Ken O'Brien in those years. So he never liked the Jets. And he, he, as you know, he lost his job in Baltimore, losing that Super Bowl to the Jets. They were 18-point favorites. But um, and they, I don't, all of them had their own reason. And then the 90s, you know, we struggled with the, the Bills. There were years we'd win 11, 10 games and had to go on the road to Buffalo in the snow. You don't see that anymore. You don't see two, you know, like, a Kel 
only Anna Marino, except I guess now with Herbert and Allen, or Allen and, uh, not Allen, Herbert and, uh, Mahomes. Mahomes. You see it now, but, you know, Marino and Kelly in the division. You know, in the division. And Bruce Smith and those Bills teams. So, I don't know. All of them have different reasons, but I say right now for the fears of England of, you know, Coach Dean in a second, not being number one. 347 is our lucky number as a family. <laughs> Where does Dan Marino rank for you in terms of all-time quarterbacks? Um, biasedly, one. Non-biasedly, um, top four, top five. Um, I, I, I believe he, he changed the game. We saw it in, in 84 to put up the numbers he did in that era. I mean, God. If he threw for 5,000 yards, he threw for 48 touchdowns. And he threw for... Um, I forget the last one, but oh, he had like he had five four hundred yard games. I mean, in, in that year, you just don't see it. Um, and again, as Don Shula said um, publicly and privately to us in his house, in his home, we did not not win a Super Bowl because of Dan Marino. That's not the reason we didn't win a Super Bowl. Don't think that. And um, so for me, Dan's I, I think Dan's the best pure passer of all. I think everybody wants to be like Dan Marino. I think everybody chases Dan Marino. What are some of the most insightful things Don Shula's ever told you? Um, um, that's a good question. A lot of hard work. You know, he, he was always big with us and uh, my, my dad. You don't have to be a football coach, but you got to do your best. You know what I mean? You have to be your best self. Um, my favorite Don Shula quote is... Um, it is a joke that he pulled us in his living room and it's one that he actually allowed to get out to the public. You'll appreciate this as a John Carroll grad. He said that the kids who can't get into um, Carroll go to Harvard. <laughs> that, was my, that was my favorite quote by Coach. But um, Coach was, you know, he was always a huge, he was loyal. He, he was very loyal to uh, my Aunt Dorothy who, um, had a, who had a somewhat public battle with breast cancer and passed away in the early 90s. And he was by her side the whole time and uh, continued to coach. And, uh, you know, he's a man of faith. If you know, he went to Mass every morning. They were, you know, undefeated and went to the Super Bowl. And he continued to do that throughout his life. It's really not a lot of what he said. It's a lot of what he did that really resonated with us as a family. Um, I grew up having a slight stutter and being in speech therapy. He also had a slight stutter and was in speech therapy as a kid. So that was just something that normalized that for me. That was something that, um, you know, he would ask me how his speech going. You know what I mean? And it was just things that, wow, Coach Shula also had that problem. Don, the Don had that problem. You know what I mean? And he overcame it. So, I don't know. He was a lot of fun to just talk with. He was, it's funny, as he got older, he got more goofy. You kind of see it the other way. You see guys become, or you see older men kind of become cranky. He became goofier. That's amazing. And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, me and Ben are going to talk a little bit about his own personal experiences coaching, what he likes out of said players, and what it was like coaching under Brandon Staley. You know, that guy who's the head coach for the L.A. Chargers right now. Yeah, that guy. Cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know, 
Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal, again. Should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Ben Mraz. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Daryl. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So the first thing I want to ask you is, and we were talking a little bit about this out there, is you got a chance to really, like, coach a lot. You got a chance to do video at Carroll, uh, do video for Avon. Just what was that like? Which job did you like the most? I like college uh, being the video coordinator. I liked um, I liked being a staff. We'd have uh, probably five cameras running in practice, um, and I'd be able to run one or something. We'd if I was needed to run one, I'd run one. And uh, if not, I'd kind of just coordinate the rest of the practice, making sure that the batteries aren't there or that the batteries are there. And they're uh, they're not dead and zapped. And um, I really like the team aspect. I like the before practice, um, like watching a special teams drill and knowing how it's supposed to be filmed, how it's supposed to look. I like the, um, I like having a walkie-talkie to be able to communicate with each other. And, uh, and I thought that was very important. When I went to Avon at a high school level, I was a staff 
one. If I had a guy who was injured, a kid, I'd get him to film. So I really liked the, um, the coaching college. That was my favorite. How should special teams videos look? Look good. Uh, it's different, you know, because, you know, a lot of it is, you know, it's not like a normal play, as you know. A lot of special teams is drills. So, you know, you, you got to watch the drill and see how they want to film. And, and um, as you know, it's just a different aspect of the ball. It's funny because um, every staff I was with, including um, ours and the Staley staff, they were huge on special teams, and they always, um, it was one of the things where that they believed in filming it. They were the third of the ball. And uh, we did it every t- Tuesday and Thursday. And um, Thursday was full go of all spaces of it. So punt, punt block, field goal block, field goal, kickoff, kickoff return. And then Tuesday was kind of a slower walkthrough of drills and, um, you know, ball, ball me man and all that stuff. So it was kind of, it was interesting to see it. It was, it was again, a lot of fans don't hear about the special teams. And let alone that you get thrown in and, you know, you're doing the drills and you're breaking down the drills. It was interesting to see. I always enjoy the special teams, doing the drops. I like them. So if you had your choice of, like, a position group to coach, what would it be and why? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I like quarterbacks. I, I've always been around, you know, my Uncle Mike's been a quarterback coach in the NFL for 30 years, so I've always loved quarterbacks. I've always um, had a, you know, I guess, you know, going to his practices and stuff, I've been able to talk to him a little bit and be exposed to it. My dad was a, a defensive back coach at, high, at Ignatius in high school, so those are the two I've always kind of been around. Uh, and Avon, I broke in with wide receivers. I like quarterbacks because, as you know, it, it drives me. I know that's kind of a cliche to say, but I think, the quarter, as you know, the quarterback position drives the game. And, you know, you tailor the defense to what the quarterback doesn't do well. You can tailor the offense to what the quarterback does do well. And I, I just, it's so, you know, there's, again, there's 32 of those jobs in the world that it's impossible to find, you know, it's, you know, you can't find 32 of them. So for me, the quarterback's the position I love being around. What do you think are, like, two to three things that make a great quarterback? Um, I think accuracy and, well, first of all, I think film study is so important as a video guy, as a guy who, who takes a lot of pride in shooting film or filming practice and making sure it looks really good. So for me, film study is very important. Uh, is he is he able to do pre-snap reads? Is he able to know what the defense is going to give him? Is he able to adjust after the ball snapped? I mean, there's so much that goes on in the pre-snap to when the ball snaps. So I think that's a huge thing, um, identifying what the defense, or who, is, who is where on the defense. And I think accuracy, too. I think accuracy is a huge portion. Um, you know, uh, can you hit the guy? So for me, it's accuracy and um Reason of decision making. So, Kyler Murray, uh, used to make a film study. Did you hear about Kyler Murray's contract? Yeah, I did. Oh, God. <laughs> so, <Damn>. <laughs> apparently, he was playing too much Call of Duty or whatever, and the Cardinals are like, and this is so crazy to think that this is actually real, but the Cardinals are like, you have to watch like four hours of film. I think it's a week, and they're tracking you or whatever. How, how crazy and mind blowing is that to you? Film, you know what I mean? 
But um, I don't know. I, I don't love hearing that because you know, again, we at the high school level would track our kids watching film. We shouldn't be tracking the NFL guys. They should be in their evening, in my opinion. Yeah, and it was so crazy because I was listening to, uh, I don't know if you know who Chris Bouchard is, but he's on the show First Things First, and I was listening to him. Oh, yeah. And he was like, and this just this blew my mind even more. He was like, maybe what the coaches should do is <laughs> stay after with him to make sure he's actually watching the film. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Why does every, people have to stay after with him to watch film? Like, that blew my mind. I was like, is this this big of an issue? Yeah, and apparently, like, it voids their con- his contract or whatever. So I'd be. Really? It, yeah, that's why they put it in the contract. Wow, I didn't know that. Dang. So, wow. Wow, that, that's unbelievable. No, but see, I, I think that's a little weird. I mean, that, you know, they're babies that they gotta, you know, essentially being sent to watch them. They gotta bribe them to watch them. Do you think it, how good do you think it's possible for you to get without watching film? Um, a lot of guys are, you know, and the talent we see is unbelievable in some of these guys. I think it's definitely possible. I think, um, you know, that gunslinger, go around, sling it mentality, you know, would be in the picture. But I, I absolutely think it's not. I think it's a lot harder. You know what I mean? I think uh, so much stuff is, you know, is filmed. I think the film is so valuable with watching it. Uh, but I, I, I definitely think it's possible. I think there are little things you may miss. You know what I mean? Like studying points or what the defense does that you know they just show on certain on you know on every on plays. So the three things you mentioned: you mentioned film study, you mentioned accuracy, and you mentioned like pre-snap, post-snap. A lot of things are going on before and after. How much emphasis do you put on? And I feel like a lot of people are doing this now on arm angles, arm talent, the ability to spend the ball. Uh, that's why a lot of guys like Trevor Lawrence coming out. That's why Zach Wilson got drafted so high. That's kind of what everybody's looking at because you see guys like Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes who can do these like magnificent things. So how much do you think that matters? I think that matters. I mean, I think uh, being able to improvise at that position is so important because, as you know, anything can go wrong. There's so many variables in the uh, in, in any NFL play. There's 22 variables. So I think you know when you're able to do something like, you know, something special like that, or, you know, it can really change a game or, say, save a play. Absolutely. I think that's a huge part of the game. You know, the raw talent is what makes these guys so great, you know. So you also got a chance to coach defensive backs, uh, right? Or you like coaching defensive backs, right? Okay. So what do you think makes a good, what do you think makes a good DB? Um, I think attention to detail. I think, um, you know, a lot of guys coach the watch the hips, the wide receiver's hips to see where they're going to go. So I think attention to detail is a big thing. I think speed, um, if you can't run, you can't play, which was something that my dad always instilled in me. Um, so I definitely think that being able to adjust and being able to run are two huge things. Um, and, you know, it just, you know the, and I, I think that the Seahawks kind of changed a little bit of DBs, you know. But nowadays, they like these big guys. They like these guys who are 6'2", 6'3", who can really body up these big receivers. So, um, I don't know, I've been a huge height guy in DB, but, you know, you see a lot of teams that are kind of put some prevalence on it. So, yeah. Why aren't you a big height guy, personally? Um, I don't know. I, I just think there's too much emphasis on it. I think you see um, a lot of a 
because I don't know. I just put too much emphasis on it. I think um, being able to run, being able to jump, um, I think all that stuff can make up for a lack of height. I think you know putting the safety, you know, on a important situation, putting the safety over a top can can also help with you know eliminate the height. And um, I just think it's ball skill. I just think there's other things that we can look at instead of height. You know what I mean? Yeah, like guys put too much emphasis on it. Yeah, it just. Absolutely. A guy who's like 6'3", we're going to look at the guy who's 6'3", and we're going to say, oh, he's better than this guy who's 5'11". We want him. We want to draft him, or we want to sign him as a free agent just because he's 6'3". Absolutely. And, you know, you see a lot of little measurement things that affect guys' draft stocks. And, you know, and I think that's one of those things you can look at. You know, do we need a tall DB? I don't know. Like, you see, like, like with quarterback hand sizes, how important, you know, is that? And I just think that's another one of those things with DB. I think, you know, you don't need to be a big dude to play the position. Who are some of the best corners you've ever gotten a chance to watch? Uh, Revis Island was probably my favorite to watch growing up, even as a Dolphins fan, um, which was disappointing because he was, you know, we had Brandon Marshall, we never did anything against Revis. So, so <laughs> uh, Revis was, my, was probably my favorite one to watch. Uh, my favorite one for the Dolphins was, is definitely Xavier Howard. He's my, I think he's one of the top cornerbacks in the league. I mean, his interception numbers are insane. His, I mean, the ball skills he plays with are crazy. I mean, hmm, kind of, who else is a great man-to-man? My dad was always a huge, I know he plays safety, but my dad was always a huge Ronnie Laugh fan. Talked about him um, offering to cut off his, his finger in, in the Super Bowl play. Um, those are my favorite TVs. I love Brent Grimes, too. And that, as we've been talking about, that's a short one, too. That's a short TV. How much emphasis, because I feel like there's some guys who prefer guys who can play, you know, more man. There's some guys who prefer guys who can play and more zone schemes and concepts. Which one do you prefer? Uh, the zone guy, or the man guys. Anyone who can take, I mean, I remember when um, when the Panthers went to the Super Bowl in 15, my cousin was the um, offensive coordinator for that team and watching. Um, literally, Josh Norman was, I mean, I guess they played a zone defense, but there were his stats. I mean, just being able to take away half the field or being able to take out a, 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 massive, a massive part of an offense, I think it's just so... Valuable. I mean, to see a guy like uh, Ramsey every week or every year when Hoppy was with um, the Texans, being able to literally lock him up to three catches a game. I mean, it affects us, everything that the quarterback wants to do. I mean, for me, it's definitely man. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. The field, I think it's unbelievable how these guys are able to just take a guy and they're not even a part of the game anymore. Sometimes it's crazy. I agree with you, and I'll say this. It always baffles me sometimes where it just insert corner acts in the draft, and then guys are like, he's his own corner, but let's draft him in the top ten. And I'm just like, well, like, like, it's like what the F are we doing here, guys? I mean, like, well, it's not that there's not a place for that, but, like, you're, you're number one guy. Like, if you're going to build your team to the secondary, like, that guy needs to be able to turn his hips, move, and twitchy and cover these freaks like Jamar Chase and DK Metcalf. Like... <laughs> Yeah, or, or if you're going to give a guy a big contract, I've never understood when people do that and they're like, oh my God, this, you know, just because he plays zone. I'm like, yeah, there's not a place for it like what Seattle does, but also what makes that good is, or, or with the 49ers. The 49ers play a lot of zone, but, you know, they're speeding up the quarterback's process because their front four is so good. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. And then I even say we saw it in Tampa Bay when they, they wanted to play that Tampa 2 D 
friends with, um, I don't remember who the head coach was. I think it was Gianno or um, Lovey. And they went out and they traded for Rebus and they wanted to play zone. And I remember there were things of them trying to create a defense where everyone plays zone, but Rebus plays man, or Rebus couldn't get into the zone, or they had a, he, he, he wasn't able to pick up the zone. He didn't want to play zone. He wanted to take Steve Smith out of the game, not only be, you know what I mean? So, and I, I think these great guys want to do that. I think they take pride in doing that. I love seeing those edits every week on um, ESPN, on NFL, on Instagram and Facebook that show like a, a corner, like, I don't know, let's say Ramsey, and it'll show all the wide receivers he competes against who have like two catches for, you know, 15 yards against him. And actually, it's unbelievable to see it. And, and you know, it frustrates the quarterback when the quarterback's able to get that guy, you know, his, his freak receiver to play, he's able to, you know, it's a field day for him. And he gets frustrated and whatnot. So for me, I just think, Play man-to-man defense is so important. But again, we also see zone do well. We see a lot of teams succeed with zone. Now let's go to wide receivers. What do you think makes a good wide receiver? Catch the ball with your hands. I hate seeing catch people catch the ball with their body. That's something that really bugs me. It's a pet peeve of mine. You got to catch it with your hands. Um, Coach, I've taught me a drill like John Carroll, where he was leaning the dudes up against the pole or against the field goal post, and they were. Um, just catching softballs with their shoulder leaned up against the post, just using their hands. Just using their hands. My dad used to toss bricks. My dad and Dave Shula with the Bengals used to toss bricks to guys because they catch them with, they take off their shoulder pads because they catch it with their hands. When you catch it with your hands, you're able to just keep going. You know what I mean? There's no stopping. You see guys who want to jump and catch it with their bodies. It takes away your momentum. It, it, able to, it takes away your steps. So I think that's a huge part. And I said with the DB, you got to run too. DBs are fast, man. You got to build crisp separation. And um, I love dudes who go up and get the ball. You got to high point the ball. Those are my big things about playing wide receiver. Again, I don't think you have to be necessarily tall for wide receiver too. Look at Jalen Waddle. You know, Tyrese Hill's not a huge guy, but I also see a lot of. Um, you know, I, I think height's a different thing for you know different guys and those skill sets. But uh, height's not a thing I put a lot of emphasis on with receivers either. Who would you say are some of the best receivers in the NFL? much emphasis do you place on a guy let's say insert cooper cup who's really technical who's a really good route runner versus a guy like tyree kill who has like these sheer physical traits the acceleration the deceleration uh the speed to just break away from people uh which one do you think is more important personally i like the cooper cup i like the guy who can go on the who can really go on the slot who's gonna run really i mean again i i know tyree kill's a great player obviously but yeah i think cooper cup you just see his route running everywhere so good and you just see how he's such a I think they're kind of different I think Cooper Cup is a great I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Cooper Cup but that's a great system they have there in Los Angeles I think he you know what I mean he plays it very well any role they ask him to play inside outside and you know he's just so crisp and he catches the ball so well and um, I, 
like I said, I, I'm amazed by his route running every week, and you know the highlights that they show of him running and just shaking off, you know, DBs. I think it's un- unbelievable. Would you say he's the best route runner in the NFL? I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. How far is like a guy like Devonte Adams behind uh, Cooper Cup in that category? I didn't even think about a guy like Devonte Adams. He's not very far. I mean, he is excellent too. I mean, he's a guy who is just. I'm excited to see what he does with um, with Carter this year because that's obviously going to be a different dynamic for him. But I don't know. I mean, he's definitely yeah. He's probably in the top you know top two. He and Hoppy as well with Cup. So I, I want to circle back to this. Uh, with the wide receivers, actually, I want to go to the wide receivers still. Jamar Chase. I'm a Jamar Chase stan. I think Jamar Chase is personally, and I want to hear your opinion on this, I think he's the best wide receiver in football. Either him or Tyreek Hill, I'll say. But I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and then he was talking about Devontae Adams, and I'm just like, I don't even have to think about that, Jamar Chase. Because I'm just a guy that I'm just like, the things he does, uh, even with Green Bay and you mentioned Cooper Cup, right? They play very specific system based off like we're going to get the guy the ball, we're going to get him some easy looks, we're going to play this guy in the slot, we're going to kind of play matchup football with this guy. Where Cooper Cup, I mean, with, with Jamar Chase, it's just like okay, we're going to throw it to him and go out forty yards down the field, and he's just going to jump everybody. Uh, he's going to have a slant, and then he's going to take it like eighty yards. He's going to accelerate from everybody else. He's going to break multiple tackles. Like just that's the just stuff you can't teach, and that goes beyond scheme. Who are some of your favorite coaches in the NFL? Do you have any good Brandon Staley stories? I do have a good Brandon Staley story. Um, there's two of them that I like to tell. Uh, the first one is, actually it's kind of the same story. Um, we were getting we were getting ready to uh, leave for our first game. It was, um, the, we, had, we had a walk through in the morning and the game was in Wisconsin. We were playing Wisconsin White, or Wisconsin Oshkosh, who um, actually ended up, I think they, they beat us in the final, they beat that John Carroll team in the final four. And went to the finals. I think they lost ten to three to Mary Hart and Baylor that year, if I'm not mistaken, or ten to six. But uh, we were getting ready to leave. So we had just gotten. We were getting ready to do the walkthrough and getting ready to leave. And um, I was sitting in the uh, the, the GA's office, the graduate assistant's office, just you know erasing uh, files off the camera, getting ready for practice. And Staley walked in and he asked um, Matt Feeney, who's actually now with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, he asked him a question about the practice script, 
and Staley turns around and he walks away and on his way of walking out he sees me in the corner of his eye and he stops on a dime and he goes what are you doing and I'm thinking to myself like I I don't know you know why don't you tell me what I'm doing and he goes if the president of the United States walked down here would your shoes be untied my shoes were on I was sitting there my shoes untied and I was like if the president Obama walked down here would my shoes be untied he goes yeah shoes are untied right now is that professional and i said no he goes then tie it let's go we're here to work and it was so stern and i, I honestly like, one of those things where i thought he was like joking you know what i mean <laughs> and uh, he was so stern about it and it's just like you know the little detail i you know from there on i you know i, I we had a walk through at avon one time when i was coaching there and the head coach wore flip-flops and i you know it changed me i looked at him and i said uh, you wear those and he said yeah is there a problem and i just said you're that ball coach you know I came from a guy who yelled at me for, for, for not having my shoes tied, but yeah, you know, and I just thought it was something that stood with me. And then the second one, we were playing uh, Wilmington at Carroll, and again, as I said, I filmed in the defensive end zone. And uh, we, uh, Wilmington was uh, was not a very good team. They were coming off. I, I think they were on a two-season losing streak or something like that. And uh, I filmed the drill and it, it, on a new camera. We tried it out because, you know, Wilmington, as I said, was struggling. And, uh, we tried it on an on inside run period. It was a group period. And um, I didn't film it, so I walked into Staley's office and I told him that, uh, hey, we don't have a period. It didn't, it didn't film. I, I, I don't know what happened. And he literally looks at me and then he looks right back at his camera, says, or at his computer screen and says, okay. And I swear, Daryl, he didn't talk to me for a week. <laughs> he didn't talk to me for a week. <laughs> Everything mattered. You know what I mean? The little details of tying your shoes and an inside run period against a, a bad team. Everything mattered. That's what was so amazing to me about it. You know what I mean? Everything mattered. Could you tell in real time that, like, okay, this is a guy who's going to be a head coach in the NFL? Yeah, not this fast, but yes. Oh, yeah. We all, oh, yeah. I was actually surprised when he initially went to Chattanooga with Coach Hart. I thought he would have went straight to the NFL, and, and then he ended up, he was there for a month and got hired by the, uh, by the by the Bears, so yeah, he was a guy who, who we knew was a rock star. I remember saying he's going to make it absolutely. What do you think? And then, the, and he's with the Chargers now. He always goes on fourth down. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, as a fan, you know, if it works, great. If not, then damn. But <laughs> I'm for it. I like what he said. You know, I I really believe in trusting your guys. I think if the quarterback comes over and says, "Let's go for it," I think he. I don't, it, like, what he says, how do you take the ball to Justin Herbert's hands? I, I'm a big believer of if you can't get a fourth and one, fourth and inches, it probably don't deserve the one. You know what I mean? It's not that hard to get. I mean, it is, obviously, you know what I mean? It's very hard to get. But if you can't get that inch with the 6'5 quarterback, you know what I mean? Like, like Herbert is, then, um, and, you know, as smart and good he is with the football, I think it's, you know, I think not going for it, you're, you know, you're, you're giving the ball away. You're going to get the ball away. So I'm a fan of it. And it didn't, you know, it's, it, they won a couple games off of it, and then obviously, as we know, they you know struggled in that last game with the Raiders. And I'm a huge fan of living and dying by your philosophy, but as you know, the same reason they hire you is the same reason they're going to fire you if it doesn't work. What do you think of Sean McVay? What do you think makes Sean McVay special? Uh, I, 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 I think, well, I think a big thing about Sean that I think is cool is, um, and I don't really want to, everybody knows the football 
how he's able to remember a play he called with the skins or a play that happened when he was a Buccaneer, you know, when he was the wide receiver's intern coach. His mind is amazing. But what, what I love about Sean is his, uh, his fascination and his study for the game. Uh, he was, again, I know I've mentioned this already on this call, but he was Chris Shula's roommate at Miami of Ohio. And um, then they were roommates in Los Angeles when they got out there. So they were teammates. They were roommates. And Sean was from up here. And Chris obviously lived down in Lauderdale with his dad, you know, who was running the steakhouses at the time. And um, it's funny, I went up to Dartmouth and I spent a, a week with Dave last, last summer, Dave Shula. And even in college, he was just, he was so interested in football history in Shula history, in uh, football decisions that Dave made, you know, he was so into that stuff, he would prepare, like, he would read about Dave before going down, he would watch, you know, like, he watched the Shula Bowl, but Don played Dave and then coached against Dave, he watched it, went down there, prepared to talk about it, um, and then, you know, his family as well, so, you know, obviously these coaches' sons are amazing, you know, everybody loves a coach's son, and, and you know, he comes from the same line with the Giants and his grandfather so just for me his attention, his, his caring for the game his interest in everything again not just the X's and O's I guess would be the thing that really impressed Dave Shula telling me at age 21 how just mature he was having you know X's and O's conversations with he was having you know as a kid in college you know what I mean and Dave was a guy who coached the NFL as head coach so that was what talking to Dave about Sean that really really rubbed off on me just how prepared he was to talk to a guy like Dave, I mean, who had been out of coaching all that time, and I thought it was really cool. What do you think is the reason, now let's go to Bill Belichick, he was the last guy you mentioned, what do you think is the secret sauce to what makes Bill Belichick so special? Uh, well, I, mean, I, I think as we've discussed film, his, his, his study is unbelievable. I mean, the, the schemes and the, the week-to-week adjustments and hell, even the halftime and in-game adjustments he makes are unbelievable I mean he's a he's a he's a coach man he he like um coach Shula he's a coach he only saw himself as a coach he uh I can imagine he's one of the guys who's, who probably is the first in the last out every day um you know it's funny his personality gets a lot of flock in, in the media but his players say he's funny he's down to earth he's you know he they, they you know they go to battle for him, and I think that's a huge thing for any coach. And um, I think I just think his study and the way he, I just every the way he's able to, you know, every year they have the highest roster turnover in the league. The way he is able to uh, manipulate the roster for week to week um, adjustments is amazing. I love that he's he's not scared to win a game throwing the ball six times. He doesn't care. It's not he doesn't have to be sexy. And I think you know a lot of people want it to be sexy. And um, Again, remember, I'm talking about that, as you know, you're a Bills guy, that, that Monday night game that they, or that, was it Monday night game they played this past year? Yeah, it was Monday night. Was the wind, yep. Games, and they won, and they won, and he's not believable to me. They won the game. But, um, and again, his, I mean, just, right now, they, they don't have a superstar on the team, and they still won a lot of games in the playoffs. I mean, he's just, he's able, to me, he's able to, he takes a player, and it's not like a, it's almost like he's able to coach it like it's like a subject, and knows what he wants to get out of the guy and when, after he guessed it he knows it's time to move on it's amazing I mean we see him trade guys as soon as he saw them Richard Seymour he moved on from Mike Vrabel I just think it's unbelievable his football people with him are great 
that's what to me says Coach Belichick. And I'll second to what you just said. It always baffles me when people, and you are right in the media, and I think there is a fan perception too that Belichick's an a-hole. They can't relate to people. And I'm like, there's no way you can coach as long as he has and not be somewhat relatable and not be somewhat likable. Like, I, I guess I, I get how he acts in the media at the post game, but there's no way you can treat Groman like that, like that every day and they'll work for you. There's no way. <laughs> Yeah. I bet he's a trip. I bet they love him. No, I, I completely agree with you. There's just no way. There's no way you could last that long. And the way he always talks about players, he always gives players the credit. Like, I, I think Belichick, he's just maybe more naturally a grumpier guy. And I'm not saying, like, he's always the funnest guy to deal with. But there's no way, like, he's not a guy that people like being around. There's, there's no way. Because people couldn't work for you. So I, I've always thought, I always thought that uh, narrative about him was very, very weird. Yeah, Belichick, I also think, and, and you're right, the attention to detail, and I was listening to Trent Dilfer talk and, about Belichick, and the things he was saying, it just made sense, and he was just like, Belichick, he's kind of realized, like, the thing about it is, a lot more games are lost than they are won, right? Yeah. Oh, typically, people do things to lose. There are people who do things to win. There are people who are really, who are good enough, who are transcendent enough, who are special enough, who do things to win, but more often... Most games are lost because people make the mistake, not because they go out there and win it. And that's been like his whole thing in New England. They've never been the team to make the stick, make mistake. think about this, because I don't know if you know this, but apparently in New England they haven't like named an official OC or DC. Do you think any of that stuff matters? No, I don't. Uh, I, mean, well, I, I, I think it does in the sense that somebody needs to somebody needs to have a play card in the final say and that needs to be like inside the building, I believe that needs to be said. I mean, I, I believe in, um, in um, input from others on the staff, but as you know, there's only what, 35 seconds between a play? How much input are you really throwing in there 
work, you know what I mean, between snaps. But so I definitely think somebody needs to be. In charge. I don't think it's a huge deal at all, though. You see, it's not about defense every year. You know, going back to Brian Flores, when the Dolphins hired him, I saw the ESPN alert that he was the linebacker coach for the Patriots. He ran his defense. And, uh, you know, after Matt Patricia left, they haven't really named a, a total coordinator on defense still. And, um, but I think it's interesting. I thought, um, following the offseason, I saw that, you know, obviously Bill O'Brien makes a ton of sense to take that job from Alabama. He coached there all those years. He was the quarterback coach that moved up when McDaniels left. And, uh, and then Adam Gase is another guy who he, um, who was another guy who was just thrown around us. And those are two good football minds. I mean, OB, or, yeah, OB was an NFL head coach, and Gates was as well. So I don't know. I, I, I would assume somebody in there is going to have the set. I agree. They're just not making it known to the public. <laughs> That's what it is. And I, and I think that is smart, because they got, like, um, I know, like, when uh, at Carroll, when we, when we were getting ready for a game against Baldwin Wallace, they hired the assistant um, special teams coordinator from Ashland to be the special teams coordinator. So he went from D3 he went from a D2 assistant special teams coordinator to a Division Three special teams coordinator. We watched all Ashland special teams film. And we watched how they, what they did on everything, how far, how long every punt was, was in the air, what they stressed, what they did, their formation. And a lot of it was, you know, because a lot of guys take things with them. Did a lot of things from Ashland to ball balls with them that we saw. And they hit, you know, I don't want to end the block punt. So, yeah. How much do you think people make too much of like when it comes to hiring a head coach? People are like, did this person call plays on offense? Did this person call plays on defense? I don't think there's enough emphasis on that. Um, I think that uh, I think calling plays is very important. I, I do. I think um, I think we see uh, like Miami, who they hired. Uh, what's his name? Mike McDaniel. Uh, McDaniel. Um, he's never even called. He's never called plays before. I didn't think that's 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 weird to me. Uh, I, I think it needs to be done, calling plays. Okay, now how about if I were... When the head coach also calls plays, I think that's a lot on his plate. But I think to be a head coach, I do believe you need to call plays. It needs to be on your resume. Okay, so you don't think the head coach needs to continuously keep calling plays, but you think to get the job that the person hiring should have called, been able to call plays at yes, some point? Yes, I don't even think the head coach should call plays. Yeah. Okay, why don't you think the head coach should call plays? In the whole game. I think, um, I mean, I, I, I obviously think, I, I see why they do it, you know, you know, he trusts himself, he wants, if he's going to get fired, he's going to get fired his own way. Um, I think there's, you know, in, there's so, that job is so huge in what's going on, you're managing three sides of the ball, you're managing other 53 or 46 guys who dress every week, and uh, there's, you know, you're managing the, the game, the situations, the people, the personalities, and now you call them plays. So, I don't know. And I, I think trusting your assistant coaches is a big thing, too. Now I, I, now, I slightly disagree with you here. How about if I post it to you this way? While okay. you might not be, like, let's say, let, let's use the Shanahan McDaniel uh, example. Uh, Shanahan's calling the plays, right? And Mike McDaniel doesn't have the experience, but that doesn't mean in terms of the game plan preparation, he's not having a very big say. Because, like, right, you mentioned, right, how much say are you really having in real time as you're calling the plays? But I have to imagine there's a certain amount that Kyle Shannon gives them when they're coming up with the game plan throughout the week. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point right there, too. That's a great point. McDaniel, absolutely. There's valuable input throughout the week. There are certain things that McDaniel is helping, you know, whether it's the run, you know, the Shanahan run game we always talk about. 
So absolutely, I, I, I could not agree more with what you just said right there, Daryl. Why do you think there is the narrative, though, if you're a coach and you don't call plays, that, like, you're just there? That's a very common narrative from, I think, people in the media and people in the fans. People say, I don't know if you disagree with that, but I feel like I hear that a lot. It's like, oh, he's not calling plays. What does he actually do, then? I have heard that argument before in that, that statement. I have heard that. I, I really don't agree with it. I mean, I, I definitely value the coach being, you know, on the headset, extraordinarily involved in the play calling process. But I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that's a thing that a lot of fans, you know, may not be, you know, crazy, you know, X's and O's. I just think that, I don't know, I, I think that a, a fan doesn't, they say that not understanding. I don't know, I just think that the coach is so busy. I don't know. I'm struggling with fourth right now. Yeah, because you, I mean, yeah, you've been around football, so obviously, like, the coaches, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are going on in a football practice on the day-to-day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. In, in the game, I mean, in real time, you know, there's a famous quote by John Gwynn, more than seven words, don't say it to him, because there's too much going on. And I think that's a lot about what the head coach do, is just, you know, managing what's going to happen and how we want to control the clock. And I just think, again, when you're calling plays and, you know, it, I think a lot of the same thing about the offensive coordinator when, like, Mike Shula was the offensive coordinator for the Giants getting off wins. What's he doing? You know what I mean? This is another question I have for you. I feel like oftentimes, this is the one thing I struggle with coaching, and this can be any sport. It can be football, it can be basketball, it can be baseball, any sport, you name it. I think a lot of times we focus a lot on, like, the wins and losses, right? And people will say, for example, I don't know if Kyle Shanahan still has, like, a under 500 record. It's, like, near there. But people will say, oh, like, let's just use this for example. People will say Mike McCarthy's a better coach than Kyle Shanahan. I reject that. I think Kyle Shanahan is a way better coach than Mike McCarthy, in my personal opinion. People always point to, oh, Mike McCarthy, he has a Super Bowl as a head coach. Oh, he has a uh, better wins-loss record. And I think that's kind of how people judge coaches. But I'm like, I care more about how you manage the team, if you're calling plays, how that side of the ball looks. Does your team have a certain style they play with? I think there's certain, even if you are losing, how do you lose? Are you well prepared? Because you can you can be a very good coach and your team could just not be very good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think preparation is a huge thing. I think, um, then like you just said, look at the resume like that and you know you see things I mean like Marty Schottenheimer never won a Super Bowl you know and I, I believe Coach Schottenheimer should be in the Hall of Fame is it Marty's fault that, that the DB I don't remember who he was he picked off with the lead in the last two minutes of the game he picked off Brady and instead of sliding on the ground he he kept running and fumbled the ball and got the ball back and scored and won probably not you know what I mean but um, I don't know there's a lot of things that I think coaches get a lot of I, I, the biggest thing you said is the preparation. If, if they are prepared to play and the players don't play well, and I, I mean, I just, again, I don't know. I'm struggling with words again here, too. But I guess my question is just how much do wins and losses actually matter? Like, And I get it does matter to some extent, right? Like, if, particularly if you're looking at an owner, obviously the owner. Because it's like the easiest thing to look at. It, it kind of, you know, shows the fruits of your labor or lack thereof. But do you think that gets overanalyzed too much? Like a guy like, like you said, Coach Shannon, he started, that was a rebuilding process. That was not a team that was ready to win when he got there. Whereas a guy like McCarthy with Rodgers, 
now in Dallas, that's there is success ready for him. So I think seeing a guy, you know, like Shanahan turn that culture and turn, you know, a team that is losing to lose um, to lose close and then to win close and then to win big and then win consistently, I think that's more impressive than you see a guy like I think that's huge. I mean, I, I, I just think seeing that progression of, you know, from being a losing team to being a 500 team and then being a consistent you know, 10 to 11 win team, I think that tells a huge, I, 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 a lot of records don't reflect that, in my opinion. I don't get a lot of time to do that, to have that chance to change uh, the team, to change the culture, and build on that losing record. So another question I have for you, I really want your insight on this, right? Uh, I feel like, and I'm trying to figure out the words how I want to phrase this, uh, when a lot of people talk about a head coach, and let's insert Mike Tomlin, for example. I, I had a friend, he was kind of like, well, I'm not sure of Mike Tomlin, which I think is crazy, by the way. Uh, but I want to see how he... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we agree on that. But he's like... I... Yeah, he's like, I want to see how he develops a quarterback. Because uh, obviously with Ben Roethlisberger retiring, I want to see how he develops a quarterback. Or some, I heard somebody say that about Sean Payton. I want to see how he develops another quarterback besides Drew Brees. And I've kind of always rejected that. And I've watched your opinion on this because you've kind of really been around coaching. So how much do you think a head coach does play a part in an individual player's development? Um, well, I think that a lot of that comes down to the day managing. Of, you know what I mean? Of situations. You know, the calling the plays. Knowing, the, knowing where and what you're expecting the guy to do, I think that's a huge thing. Uh, you know, my, my Uncle Michael would always tell me you can't tell somebody to be somebody something they're not in terms of playing. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of – I think there are certain things a quarterback or a, a head coach can't do. You tailor his offense and get the higher – you know, you, you see a lot of the media, like quarterback guys, you know, to be the offensive coordinator, to be the quarterback coach, to be an offensive assistant – so I, I definitely do think that there are things, but I, I do agree with you. Uh, that is extraordinarily overlooked, in my opinion. Yeah, that, as, as we said, Mike Tomlin's a defensive guy. Yeah. He's, I mean, he may be sitting in a meeting, you know, to see what's going on. He may be observing the meeting. He's not running out. Quarterback coaches, the office coordinators. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I think that's something, yeah, I think that's, something that's way too over, over Even For me, uh, my grandfather coached um, Johnny Unitas, Bob Greasy, And these guys work with tons of people in the offseason, too. I think the person, when we talk about an individual player's development, I think the first person you should go to is who's their position coach. Because <laughs> that's like the person who's around them every day. And then you could extend that to either the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator. I don't think if we're giving it. I think it's just a little bit too much if we're saying specifically, right, Josh Allen, that much better Josh Allen got is directly due to Sean McDermott. Seconds on the play clock is mostly the quarterback coach, like you said. 
same with the defensive play caller who has the mic in his helmet. How much better do you think a coach can make a player? Like what percentile? Um, like if a player is a C, how much better can a great coach make that C? A great coach by himself? Is that, yes. A, um, I think maybe 10, 15 percent. I mean, I, I think there are things you can, I think you can, you know, develop an offense that, um, that stresses his, um, his, his talents. I think um, you can develop an offense that um, that decreases his uh, flaws. I think you can. Um, I think that stuff is a lot of stuff you can do. I think you can hire people who have track records of working with um, with a guy who is, has been successful. Maybe kind of mimics him. Um, I forget what I was going to say. I just forgot my point. But um, I do think a, a coach can have an impact on that. Um, but I, I think, like we said, with Kyler forcing him to watch film, I, I don't think that's the answer. Um, you know what I mean? Obviously, the coach can't change the roster unless he, you know, he's, you know, the GM or has a big say in that. But I don't know. I, I do think there are things. I, I think it's kind of limited. I think they can hold the ball and play defense. You know what I mean? Or run the ball and you know shorten the game. So I do think strategically, the coach can make the quarterback better. I do. Ben, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, Daryl, thank you, man. I had fun. I'm sorry it was taking us so long to do this, but I had a great time. And once again, I want to thank Ben for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed talking some ball with him. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 466th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Quarterback. Go it on a dime like I ain't even trying.